and welcome to another episode of the CFAL Talks Economic Podcast. My name is Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments at CFAL, and I will be hosting this part two series titled Using Public-Private Partnerships to Stimulate the Bahamian Economy. In studio with me today are Anthony Ferguson, President and Founder here at CFAL, Lachelle White, Investments Manager, Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst, and together we will have an in-depth discussion on the topic at hand. As we exited 2020 with a sense of relief that we made it and transitioned into 2021, the Bahamas continues to be negatively impacted by the twin economic challenges of the deadly and destructive 2019 Hurricane Dorian and the COVID-19 pandemic. The focus for 2021 should be to rebuild. That's rebuilding infrastructure and rebuilding public sector finances. One such tool that can be used in this rebuilding effort is public-private partnerships. A public-private partnership is defined as a long-term contract between a private party and a government agency for providing a public asset or service in which the private party bears significant risk and the management responsibility for building, financing, and servicing a piece of public infrastructure, for example, bridge tolls. During this episode, we will explore how to use the varying PPP structures to assist with the Bahamas' economic growth and development. So panel, let's get right into the discussion. How important is our fiscal position to the successful execution of PPPs in the Bahamas? Well, I would say um, the government should always strive um, to have a strong fiscal position and Yes, you have crises where the government needs to step in, but I think after, um, you know, those subside, I think the government should always do what it takes to get itself back um, into a strong fiscal position. And the reason I say that is, you know, we saw the recent example where, um, you know, there's a, I guess, public-private partnership in Luthor with a company that supplies water. And, you know, they cut the water off for several days, um, you know, claiming that government did not pay them or pay as agreed. And I, I think that's a dangerous um, scenario to put yourself in. Now, ideally, you know, companies would, you know, if you generally want to receive money owed to you as fast as possible and pay money that you owe as long as possible. Um, but, you know, that's assuming you have the capacity and liquidity to do that. And it's not a situation where you're delaying payment because you don't have the the cash up front. And so, and so I think it's dangerous for um a government to have a weak fiscal position and find themselves um, at the mercy of companies in, in situations such as this. Um, and so I would encourage, um, you know, the government to always try to get itself to some sort of strong fiscal position. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, if they do need to step in, um, they have the capacity to. But I mean, that's the, that's the whole challenge, right? Which is back to, uh, from our previous episode, when we talk about what, what are the objectives of the public-private partnership, what are the um, expectations, what are the penalties, et cetera. So um, in certain um, public-private partnership, um, government needs to provide the regulatory framework to ensure that such a thing does not happen like that again. And so if that means even um, um, awarding the public-private partnership to a party or parties that can provide the financial where at all that should the government miss one or two payments, the, the services is continued to render. And so again, to my you know previous point in the last episode, 
is that we need to really have strong definitions of what it is that we're trying to achieve because public-private partnership in different countries have different meanings and different nuances. And so as an archipelago, our requirements are very different. And again, so this is why, you know, again, I like to hear people talk about the public-private partnership, but I would like to see more um, um, more structure around what the expectations are, what the um, uh, regulatory frameworks would be, and how would it impact the public good. I agree with you both, but looking at it from a different um, standpoint, the weaker the country's um, fiscal position, and if you need, you need infrastructure, but you don't have the money um, to to put in that necessary infrastructure. So you would need to go and perhaps look for a partner um, to develop a public-private partnership. At the same time, um, if you have a stronger fiscal position, um, you may have um, the discretionary funds. Well, it, it shouldn't be discretionary, but you may have the funds um, to um, upgrade the roads, um, upgrade the hospitals, upgrade the schools. But I guess um, for the government, it's sort of, of difficult right now because we are in a very weak fiscal position and we have, if we look around us, um, our infrastructure is degrading. And um, to go back, that they say they're not doing any capital work, capital projects, I guess that's expected because they don't have the money. But I do think that when we are in this sort of, this sort of position, um, this is the time when we do need um, the public-private partnership. At the same time, we don't want to be taken advantage of. Um, we don't want to get into the wrong deal just because we don't want to become desperate um, for a partner that we give all sorts of concessions to. Uh, but I think that, um, like Mr. Ferguson said, we have to um, define what we really mean by public-private partnerships and what we want um, what we wanted to achieve. Well, I mean, to your point, though, right, um, if we were to ever, hopefully in my lifetime, get the freedom of information, all of these public-private partnerships would be made public for the world to see, for the Bahamian public to see, and they can see and compare um, what the deal is on the table and, and how it's impacting and who's benefiting and, and is it a fair uh, um, deal to all. Yeah, and I agree. Us having a weak fiscal position um, can put us in a desperate position. Um, I read with interest that the Minister of Tourism mentioned that they're going to have some public-private partnerships with um, a couple of the family island airports. They're going to get funding from the IDB as well as use public-private partnerships. And then I asked the question, what type of arrangements are we having? He mentioned a local financial institution. Okay, so like, how is this going to work? How, what, what level of control Will the financial institution have? Is it just is it that the financial institution is only providing the monies and the government will be responsible for the management of the airport of the airport? So I think if if there was a desire to be transparent, which is important for the good function of PPPs, then that information would have been disclosed because there's no legislation preventing it from being disclosed. Well that's not a public private partnership though. Uh, public private partnership by definition means the private entity assumes the risk and management. You can't give the private sector the risk, but not the responsibility to manage it. And so um, that's not, and again, which goes back to our original thesis, what do we mean by public-private partnership? We need to have um, concrete definition, 
expectations and narratives around that for us before we can, you know, even get any deeper into this this, this topic. And I, I think the, you know, the fiscal position also limits you in terms of what projects you can go for and, and terms surrounding, surrounding the project. Um, you know, if it's a project where the government needs to come up with funding um, to inject, then, you know, with a weak fiscal fiscal position, the, the funds are going to be expensive to raise. And, you know, it may discourage those type of um, PPPs. You know, the government may have to do deals where, you know, they only put in the land or, uh, you know, sign over the concession agreement, um, things of that nature, which, you know, in many cases don't put us in the strongest um, position from a negotiating standpoint. So, um you know, the the stronger the position is, I think the better the deals are. Because if, you know, the partner tries to do too much, the government can always increase what they're doing um, to get the terms to be a specific way that they want them. Agreed. And transparency along with that. So normally people use PPPs, privatization, interchangeably. What, is there a difference between the two? And if there is, what are they? I think so. I think that perhaps um, PPEs do require a certain level of privatization, but then you have instances where the government would own the assets, but um, they're just not managing it. So I think in those instances, can you really um, think of that as privatization? Although I do think, um, like I said before, um, the government does not need to, to manage anything. And in some cases, when you um, outsource the management um, of things, you end up getting better efficiencies, you get um, better benefits for the public. And I know sometimes um, privatization can be a dirty word and people don't, people don't like to consider it. Um, this is, um, they want to claim ownership of everything, but some things just aren't working and some things we do have to look for a private partner to um, ensure that we increase efficiencies. I think that we have to sort of move on from this antiquated view that the government has to own everything, the government has to manage everything. Of course, there are certain things that should always be a public good, but that also goes back to um, putting the proper laws and the proper legislation in place to ensure that it's managed properly and that it's always benefiting the citizenry. Okay, let's, let's give you several concrete examples of the difference between a public-private partnership and privatization. So um, NASA Airport Development is, for want of a better word, a public-private partnership in that the government still owns 100% of the equity of NAD. The cruise port is a bill-owned transfer. So after the concession, those assets still belong to the Bahamian people or the government. Arawak Port, is a, it's more of a privatization to the extent that they have over 12,000 um, shareholders in the, in, in the form of Bahamian public retail shareholders. BP, um, BTC is a privatization with management control, but yet the government owns 51%. And the intent at the time was government was going to sell down their interest. So that's a privatization. Now, again, I submit that the um, objectives and the constraints and all of the um, legal um, 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 operations of that, you know, you know, we could learn from it because I don't think it's, 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 it was the best deal we could have cut. But you know, that, that's another story for another day. So, so um, um, 
public-private partnership, um, if it were me, um, would kind of be married to some sort of national wealth fund um, that um, assets can be transferred in that entity that would allow Bahamians from all walks of life to participate and feel like they continue to own some of these assets. But in this instance, only manage uh, by a private operator with specific objectives, performance penalties, and if these things are not achieved, you, you terminate those relationships or, or uh, you control um, what, what dividends can be paid, et cetera, et cetera. So um, again, we need more definition of what it is that we want. And I think it's, you know, PPP is a, you know, fancy middle ground between um, privatization and nationalization. Um, you know, the extreme is privatization, 100% sold to a private firm and nationalization, 100% government owned. But you have, you know, PPPs, like Anthony said, where um, BTC is 51% owned by government and 49% by um, a private interest. But, you know, it's still, it isn't considered nationalized. And then you have where they own 100% of the airport, but it's managed, um, you know, the control in another hand. So I think it's just a... Um, you know, middle ground in a sense. And, and it's, it's like a scale, you know, you may have, you just move the ownership back and forth between the two. Given, given your, your examples of PPPs versus private-tized um, companies in the Bahamas, which one do you feel best suits the Bahamas? Um, if the privatized um, companies are, quite frankly, uh, Bahamian controlled, managed, I think that's the way to go. I, I, I think we need to, again, it goes back to our objective. Uh, you have Bahamian companies or Bahamian entrepreneurs who have the capacity to joint venture with an international firm to bring the expertise to manage properly, but you know, dividends and et cetera uh, uh, remain in the country. If you have to be careful when you privatize to the extent that um, um, if it's all foreign privatized, and in many respects, we do need them. So let's be very clear about that because and most of the time, they will have not only the, um, the expertise, but they will also have the financial wherewithal to, to execute. But I think in all, again, back to our definition, in our PPPs, are we going to have the maximum foreign component of 33% and the balance remain, let's say, one-third to the retail and then the next one-third to the sovereign wealth fund or some, um, some, some rendition thereof? Um, again... It goes back to what do we want to achieve, but I, I submit, depending on the PPC, depending on the, the PPP and the expectation and the, and the industry and sector it's in, um, I think I can go either way. I think, um, you know, the, the cruise port is still um, in its development, so we'll have to see, I guess, how um, that model um, plays out over time. But I think if you compare the NAD um, to the APD, I think the you know, the APD to me seems a bit um, better as of now. I think for NAD, for example, I always wonder, um, you know, NAD is 100% owned by the government, but it has a lot of debt. And, you know, sometimes that debt can act as a, a stranglehold. And so no Bahamians are directly benefiting through dividends or share price increases through NAD. So should the government look at, you know, maybe issuing some equity, paying down the debt, giving the company a bit more um, flexibility, you know, APD, when it started, they also issued some debt. They issued equity, and they had more of a balanced structure. And now persons get dividends annually. The share price goes up. Um, you know, an APD isn't, I guess, 
you know, doesn't have this huge load of debt hanging over its head. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I would lean more so to that that model right now. Um, but I, I still think there's some benefit in the NAD um, model, and we'll see how the cruise port structure plays out. Um, but, but that's a great example, right, where APD, we all have to be, if we all kind of honest with ourselves, it's probably the, the most successful private public partnership. But it is 100% managed by Bahamians, won awards in the Caribbean, and is 100% Bahamian-owned. So it's, it's, a, it's a success story that we can emulate, we can uh, model um, after, um, and, and even at the, the cruise port, as Angela said, it's, it's, it's new, but right now it's 100% managed by Bahamians. Yes, we have the foreign um, partner who providing technical uh, insight, oversight, and, 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 and bring in their where it all experience globally. But um, um, again, it's an example of where um, if clearly, defined, structured, um, the Bahamian public, the government, and investors can all benefit. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I prefer the APD model because, f- for me, particularly because it is free from government manipulation and control. And so you, can, you won't get a situation where they are sending people down there to, to hire, um, force hire, um, if the capacity doesn't exist. Whereas with NAD model, so to speak, the government has full control and, they, and, and an administration can decide, can decide any day that they don't want this management company to continue control and they decide to manage it themselves. So I prefer the APD model where it's free from all forms of government manipulation. So what skills and resources and capacities do you believe are required to develop PPPs as it relates to the Bahamas? I think that you, um, first of all, you need um, policymakers that have a vision um, for what they what they want to do. Um, I think sometimes we get um, sidetracked with all the political back and forth. So what is needed is sort of lost um, in that. So I think that you have to have um, wise um, policymakers, wise decision makers to say, okay, if we get into this, um, how is this going to benefit the citizenry? And then you also want to have like a long-term vision. It's not something that you just want to be successful over the next five years. You want this to be long-term. How is it going to look um, in maybe um, 20, 30 years? Um, I think that you also have to have strong negotiation. Like I mentioned earlier, like we don't want to ever be in a situation where we're so desperate that anybody who comes here and, you know, waves a big check in our face um, that we're just going to say, oh, yes, take it all and, you know, just um, do whatever you want. So I think that we just have to have the uh, like a strong political will and we have to have strong policymakers that are determined to do what's best for the country and don't take um, the lazy way out. I think um, in addition to the policy um, framework, um, you know, you need to sometimes um, let some of the civil servants, um, you could augment their, their, um, their um, negotiations with, you know, maybe some people from the, the private or advisory um, sector, private sector advisory team, but sometimes the challenge is, I think, you know, you know, haven't sat and wanted to, you know, they have the capacity and, and they do it, but if the policy makers disagree, they have to follow the policy makers' directive. So, um, again, um, you just need a transparent process, and that will alleviate any innuendos and uh, concerns that the public has. 
Yeah, I agree. The shell, we need strong negotiation skills, and the public sector needs to uh, communicate with all the stakeholders and also to appreciate the motivations and incentives of all stakeholders. And also, I think what's important is we need to test assumptions. Um, a lot of times, we just go by chance in terms of when we make decisions um, as it results to investment. But I think we have to have models or people who are experienced with developing models to test assumptions like worst case scenarios. So for instance, the Grand Lucayan Hotel uh, that was purchased by the government, I think maybe their focus was strictly on um, these people that are employed here, and if nothing happens to this hotel, they would lose their jobs. And But if they had probably did a scenario analysis or assumption analysis and test the worst case scenario, maybe it would have been a better decision to allow the hotel to close and support those persons um, for the time being, as opposed to investing all of that money into a hotel, and then when they sell it, they will probably not even get near what they purchased the hotel for, and again, causing a liability uh, to the Bahamian people and wasted funds. So I think it's very important for, for, for those to be in place. So how has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted public-private partnership operations and introductions? Well, I would say it you know, threw a wrench in everybody's life, um, the government, the private sector, um, business. And so I think you, have, you, know, you almost have to reset um, and just prioritize um, what would be the most effective immediately um, while also providing long-term benefits? Um, you know, which projects have the greater economic output, spin-off, jobs, um, you know, direct effect on, you know, if you, if you say the airports, which airports are going to provide the biggest bang for the, the buck um, as quickly as possible? Um, but I think, too, it has, you know, the government right now is focused on social welfare, um, keeping people's head above water, and so, um, you know, any sort of capital-intensive project now is is almost going to have to be um, driven by a public-private partnership. But I, I think um, Ram Emanuel uh, once said, "You never let a good, um, you know, disaster, you know, uh, um, go to waste." And and I think what we are seeing is uh, the opportunity to use technology to improve um, the whole service delivery of the Bahamas, and that includes the private sector as well as the government. And so I think at the end of the day, yes, we will have significant debt, but I'm, I'm hoping that um, um, government um, um, efficiencies with which services are delivered to the public um, uh, implemented and executed and so that you don't have to go and stand on these long lines when you can go online and, and do um, a lot of your business with government. So, I mean, those things seems to be happening in the background. So we have to give them um, top marks for that. Um, you know, how it ends up, you know, is anyone's guess. But um, I, I think um, while it's been challenging and continues to be, um, we need to then learn and make, uh, have a postmortem and determine, you know, what we can do better going forward. What assets do we need to meet needs and services? Again, this is why I submit that you know a, a privatized new uh, hospital is probably um, um, very much in need um, if we're going to deliver you know efficient, good healthcare to the Bahamian public. What we should do as a government, uh, policymakers in particular, and I'm sure a lot of private companies will do it, is have a postmortem um, after COVID 
and determine what directions and what they need to, um, to do as a business, as a country, to address the needs and citizenry requirements going forward to bring the Bahamas into the 21st century in terms of service. You know, our, our service um, ease of doing business is still terribly low. And I think we need to get that um, up in the, in the, in the top qu um, quintile. There's no reason why we can't. And we just have to put in place the procedures um, and uh, the people to make sure we can deliver. So our last question, is broad-based public and bipartisan support necessary for the successful execution and ongoing functioning of PPPs? I think that it's absolutely necessary, and not only for just PPPs, but in terms of um, how we um, manage other things in our society. We mentioned earlier transparency. Um, why um, don't we, why aren't citizens able to see um, all of these agreements online and the opposition often says that they don't um, know about these things. So I think that the bipartisan, bipartisan support is absolutely necessary. I think that you need to have all areas of government um, buy into it. And I think that you also have to have the citizenry um, buy into it because if not, if people don't understand um, what's, um, how it's gonna benefit them, um, what's, what's the end game is, then why are you really doing it? It's just for your own political will. But I, I guess that um, I think that we have a larger problem in our society where um, we just we're, we're sort of divided um, with things. So sometimes we just oppose things for the sake of opposing them. So if I don't like Angelo, if Angelo comes up with a great idea, I'm going to hate it just because, <laughs> just for the sake, um, just for the sake of hating it. So I think that we need to get to that um, level of political maturity um, where we um, where we can so that we can move the country forward. Um, we can't just keep going with this cycle in every five years, um, things are changing. There needs to be a long-term long plan for the country. And I think, um, like she said, um, you know, make the deal transparent, um, you know, show that it's a good deal and because there's no better political football than a large um, project that, you know, the other government signed at the time and, and throwing it around. So I think if you can prove that, okay, this is beneficial for everyone, um, and you have to explain as well that the company is going to make money. I think sometimes we demonize private companies for making money, but that's, you know, if persons cannot earn a return on their investment, they're not going to invest. And so be mature about it, um, be honest and explain to persons, yes, this company is going to make money, but the overall benefit to the society um, is greater than what we are currently providing or what we're able to provide. Um, and I think once you do that, you get public buy-in. Persons will invest if investing is available and they will support the project. I mean, I, I support my colleagues. And so, um, you know, again, we have to define what it is we want out of uh, the public-private partnership and put the structure around it to ensure uh, the efficacy of it and to ensure that there's um, a transparent, coherent, um, um, achievable objectives with uh, requisite um, um, penalties or, 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 or abilities to terminate these agreements if they are not performing in the best interest of the public. Yeah, I agree. The per political champions should do all they can and all in their powers to, to ensure that it's broad-based support uh, because even if you could 
structure a good PPP, then it'll be good for us internationally. Persons would want to, to come here because we're more efficient and we have a better service delivery as opposed to us being desperate to get people to come in because our facilities do not support what they want to achieve or the services they want to provide. So I think political support across the board with the citizenry and the opposition is very important for successful functioning of PPPs. Well, panel, we have come to the end of part two of another enlightening discussion titled Using Public-Private Partnership to Stimulate the Bahamian Economy. Thank you, audience, for listening. The CFAL Talks podcast would love to hear from you, our listeners, on what financial or economic topics you would like to hear our experts discuss. Please send your suggestions to info at cfal.com or post on our Facebook page or on our website at www.cfal.com. Be blessed.